Welcome. So glad you're here. And those of you joining us online, we're glad you're here with us as well. Today we begin a brand new series called Miked Up. Uh, if you don't know that phrase, uh, if you're familiar with sports at all, one of the best ways to, to experience an athletic contest, especially professional sports, is to watch a video of a player miked up. It's fantastic, isn't it? I love that. You feel like you're right in the middle of the action. You catch every word, some of the words you shouldn't be catching, but you, you catch them all. Uh, and it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing to experience the game like that. So uh, one of the other ways that we can uh, experience things that are mic'd up is, is actually what I would call microphone scenarios that are cringeworthy. We've seen some of that starting here. Sometimes people can be unaware that a microphone is left on. That, that they're actually, uh, you know, picking up every word of what's being said. It's called a hot mic. You know that phrase? And, and typically, um, it's usually between politicians and reporters. We see that a lot. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, President Biden stepped in that himself. Uh, and it's often between two politicians where a microphone is left on and uh, things are being recorded or aired uh, without their knowledge. And it's, wow. In fact, Mike, uh, you know, these, these hot mic comments are actually too crude to mention in church, so I'll refrain from doing that. Hot mic incidents stem from a failure to heed the golden rule of broadcasting, which is this. Always assume the mic is live. Always assume the mic is live. President Reagan may have the most famous hot mic comment. This was the height of the Cold War. Some of you are old enough to remember this. And, and tensions were high between the United States and Russia. Uh, go figure. All right. Preparing for his weekly radio address, Reagan was doing a sound check, but didn't realize he was already live. That what he was saying was, was on the air. And he jokingly said, quote, my fellow Americans... I'm pleased to tell you today that I have signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We will begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> like, what a way to start World War III, right? Wow, that's cringeworthy. So in the early days of our church, the microphone that, that I wore was corded. So I, you know, I would be up here or wherever we were at the time, and I'd be dragging a cord around. And then years ago, we switched to a wireless mic, which is super convenient. So I had this little body pack on, uh, lapel mic right here. And uh, the agreement that I have with the sound guys and the tech people is that I control the on-off switch on the mic, okay? Because I'm a control freak, okay? <laughs> Pretty much. And so it's my job to make sure the mic is off when I'm uh, talking to people uh, during the service or after the service. When I'm singing down here, my mic is off. When I'm in the green room, my mic is off. When I'm greeting people in the lobby, my mic is off. When I go to the men's room, my mic is off. You get the point, right? There could be some really cringeworthy uh, activity there if I were to get this, this hot mic thing. So today in this series, Miked Up, I'm going to launch this and I want to do so with a question. What if you were miked up? What if you were mic'd up? What if every day all your words were being recorded and available for immediate critique by others and more importantly, by God? No cuts, no edits, no do-overs, no excuses. So inside each of us resides a power that can be unleashed at a moment's notice. It's a power that can change the course of another's life. It's a power that can build up or power that can destroy. And it is the power of our words. 
Those words that come out of our mouths. What we say and how we say it really does matter. No wonder in the Bible God spends so much time talking about our talk. It's everywhere uh, throughout the scriptures. So today we'll begin with a single verse in the book of Proverbs, which is sort of a random collection of associated bits of wisdom about the midway point in your Bible. So I invite you to open a Bible with me and uh, let's go to Proverbs chapter 18 and we'll start at verse 21 with this single verse today. Here we go. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, pretty straightforward. Here we find that this tension between the power of what we say. But by the way, the phrase, the power of the tongue, is kind of a metaphor for our speech, okay? And we'll find biblical writers using it like that, a reference to the, the actual tongue in our mouths. But by that, what they're describing is they're describing this, this power of speech or the power of words. So notice what Solomon says here, death and life, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Love what? Well, if you study the passage, I believe the reference is to loving speech or loving what comes out of our tongues. In other words, this verse is addressed to those that talk a lot, okay? And those that talk a lot or are unconscious of the things that are coming out of their mouths will eat the fruit of that. Now, that can be good fruit or that can be bad fruit. Because, again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That when a person is speaking things that would lead to death, so to speak, then that person speaking those things eats the fruit of that. And when that person is speaking words of life, then that person eats the fruit of that as well. Now, chances are you can still remember the stinging criticism or the, the biting cruelty of destructive words. Words that were directed to you. Those words lodge deeply somewhere in the shadows of your heart. Some of you can access them very quickly. Others of you have tried to continue to push those down into the remotest places of your being. But if you were to think about it long enough, you would find those things resurfacing. They could have been words from a mom or dad or husband or wife or teacher or coach or friend or boss. In fact, some of us can still remember the expressions on the faces of those that delivered those words. Some of us can even remember how they were standing, where you were, what they were wearing, how they said it. Because those words really, they, they, they bit and they found a place to live uh, inside of you. Sometimes that person was speaking these things and this tsunami just overwhelmed you, this verbal tsunami. We know it, don't we? We feel it. And while I'm asking you to think now about those words that have come into your life, spoken by someone else, we all too know that we have each been guilty of delivering those kinds of words as well. But positive, encouraging words are life-giving that's what this verse is reminding us of. <clears throat> These kinds of words release a power or a force for good. Life-giving words can, can pull us out of despair. They can set a, people on a co course of hope and remind us that we have a contribution to make, a destiny to fulfill. And, I, and I'm, I'm not inflating the reality of the power of words here. 
Just a word or two is sometimes all it takes. Let's start with a simple reminder. I'll offer several through this message. Choose your words carefully. They can build up or tear down. Choose your words carefully. They can build up or tear down. Death and life are in the power of the tongue or the power of the words that we say. And God holds you and me responsible for the words that roll out of our mouths. The damage can be far reaching. Have you ever heard of the Midrash? The Midrash is a Jewish commentary, a collection of uh, sort of explanations or exegesis on the Old Testament scriptures. And, and in one of the portions on this whole idea of speech, here's what the Midrash says, quote, The evil tongue slays three, the slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. Did you catch that? In other words, there is exponential poison associated with evil words that come out of our mouths. Not only is the, the, uh, the person who is, is speaking those words affected by them, he's the, the slanderer, but the one receiving those words, the slandered, and then any sort of collateral damage from those that are hearing this interchange. We know that to be true, don't we? In fact, sometimes the real victims in a husband and wife argument are the children who have to listen to the hurtful words that are exchanged. So you see, destructive words aren't just about the person who has received those destructive words. They affect both the person who is speaking those destructive words and anybody else in the context that's being exposed to those words as they roll out of someone's mouth. So one of the major subjects in the small little letter toward the end of the New Testament that's written by James is this subject of speech or the subject of our words. James starts in, in uh, chapter 3 and says it this way, for we all stumble in many ways. We just stop there and say amen, right? No, no exceptions. We all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, James writes, he is a perfect individual and able to control the entire body as well. What? If anyone does not stumble in what he or she says, that's a perfect or mature individual is how James meant that. And in fact, if that's the case, we're, we're able to control the entire body as well. It all starts with what comes out of our mouths, he says. Now, James reminds us that the tongue possesses disproportionate power. Now, hold that phrase in your mind for a minute. Because th- it, it will be helpful to see that the, the argument that James uses is he's, begin, he's talking about words, but he's also talking about the literal tongue in your mouth. That, that, that's the genesis of the words that come out of your mouth, okay? So here's what James will say. He will say that, that, that the tongue is, possesses this disproportionate power, he says. It's like, you know, we put bits in a horse's mouth and we control this massive animal. Well, how, how big is a bit compared to the size of the horse? Pretty small, right? That bit goes in the mouth of a horse. He'll, he'll also say it's like a rudder, a very small thing compared to the size of an enormous ship. And yet that rudder can steer this massive ship. Or he says it's like a spark. And if left untended, a spark can kindle a massive forest fire. Okay, so James is saying, listen, I know you think this is an insignificant thing. And the tongue is relatively small when we compare it to the rest of our body. But in fact, there is power and there is disproportionate power in the tongue. So he'll go on to say, you can turn with me to James chapter 3 as he continues this in verse 8. 
He says, no one can tame the tongue. Wow. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. We all know this to be true, don't we? We all know that we are capable of saying some incredibly nice things, words of blessing. And at the same time, we are capable of saying some very nasty things, words of cursing, right? And don't these conversations typically occur on your way driving to church, right? <laughs> or leaving? This is why for years, Trisha and I come in separate cars. I can't afford to get in a morning argument, okay? The truth is, he's saying out of this same mouth can come these things that are praises to God. And then we turn right around and something comes out of our mouths and it's like, where did that come from? And there's this incompatibility that James points out with this reality. But he says, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. You see, when left unchecked, the power of the tongue or our words migrates toward evil. When left unchecked, that's what he's saying. And the most hurtful words usually come from those who should love us the most or those that we respect the most. We're, we're most vulnerable in those relationships. And so, wow, do those words really sting, don't they? So, you know, we could make this all about how terrible the word wars are in our culture, and they are. Uh, but I, I want to go for way more than that. Of course, the blog, social media, political commentary can create a cesspool of negativity and hurtful words. And for those of you that are sort of trolling on, in that environment, just take a break, will you? I mean, wow, there's enough negativity in our world and for us to be feeding or for us to be recipients of some of that junk that's out here. The childhood nursery rhyme reminds me and reminds all of us that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Who in the world wrote that? Of course words hurt. And sometimes they hurt deeply. And sometimes that injury over those words is prolonged. Some of you are sitting here well into midlife or beyond. And you can still remember things that were said to you when you were six years old. What is that about? You see, that power doesn't just go away. I often hear people say it this way. You know, time heals all wounds. Nonsense. Time heals nothing. It's what we do in that time. It's how you and I address those hurts and those offenses to us as we go through time and as time passes. But let's face it, words can also release incredible power for good. And some of, this know, some of us know this well, too. Powerful, positive words cause us to rise above life's adversities. You know, these words create hope and courage in those who hear. Now, now be assured, I'm not talking about uh, Pollyanna positivity. I'm talking about substantive, life-giving words offered from your security in Jesus. Security in Jesus. Because it's interesting, whenever I talk about this subject, I can just read our faces on this. You know, 
we're talking about the power that we have to speak words of life into other people. And I know what many of us are thinking because I've been there and I've thought it too. If I speak words of life, if I give life to others through my words, who's going to speak those words to me? And then we become this sort of, we embrace this kind of mentality of scarcity. And and rather than stepping out and going, okay, God, I'm going to trust you because this is good. You say this is good and I'm going to do this and and I'm going to have the courage to step out and do this. If we don't, we just wait forever. There's no guarantee somebody's going to, that person's going to show up for you, but God can. Our identity ultimately is found in him. And so we're sourced, our security is sourced in Jesus. I don't know if you realize it or not. Let's look at another idea. Speaking life-giving words to others gives life to you as well. You know, this is true. Like we're not just giving something away. If I speak some encouraging word to you, do you know the reality of this equation? I get something out of it too. I change for the better as a person. Something gets birthed in me. Something comes alive in me because I've chosen to step out and to say that to you, to give those life-giving words to you. This is how it works. It gives life to us as well. I like the way Proverbs 16.24 says that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And I would argue that's not just for the person that receives those words. That's the person who speaks those words. And I would even go back to the Midrash quote we saw, the person who hears that. Isn't it awesome to be in a context where people are speaking life-giving words to each other? It affects not only the speaker, not only the recipient, but all of us who are passive bystanders. People who are hearing that kind of language. Proverbs 15, 4 says this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Some of us have had our spirits broken by words. But the solution is bigger than this trying to say nice things to people. We have to realize that. I mean, otherwise, this would be a TED talk or something, okay? Now, be nice. Say nice things. You know, we're like, I mean, we teach our kids that, right? You're given a gift. What do you say? Say thank you, okay? Well, I, I get that. And maybe that's where it starts. But they, they're saying thank you just because you told them to, all right? And then eventually they grow and maybe they develop genuine gratitude, which is an awesome thing. And we can instruct our kids by starting with the outward behavior and kind of working toward the issue because because in a conversation with the Pharisees, that group of religious, man, snobs, they were legalists, consummate legalists. They did everything outwardly. And yet Jesus says, wow, you guys are far from me. Jesus is speaking to this group of people. And here's what Jesus does. He makes a connection between our words and our heart. Our heart. The two are not disconnected. Here's what he says in Matthew 12, 34. Jesus speaking, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks Out of the overflow, the stuff that that overflows in our heart, the mouth speaks. That's the source of the words. So it's not just this metaphor of the tongue, the actual organ in our body. It's not just the metaphor of our words, but it's the connection that Jesus is making between our words and our heart. Put another way, the mouth is connected to the heart. And what sloshes out of our hearts finds the path of least resistance. Our mouths That's where it gravitates to. 
It comes from our heart, sloshes out there and finds this exit out of our mouths. So uh, as a pastor for many years now, uh, I've conducted many funerals over the years, some right in this room and some uh, all over different places in the country, to, to be honest with you. And at some funerals, people feel pressure to honor the deceased and give glowing reports about them, reports that just aren't true. I've done funerals and I've known some of these people and I listen to what people are saying about this person. I think, am I in the wrong funeral? But it's okay. I get it. There's there's pressure, isn't there? There is. And chances are we can find something good to say about everybody, no matter how bad they were. But let's not exaggerate and lie at a funeral of all places. Okay, I get that. But then we attend the funeral of someone and, and we hear who they really were. And it's it's undisputed. We hear consistent stories of their their kindness, their humility, their commitment to serve others, their selfless devotion to their spouse, their powerful example for their children, their unquestioned devotion to God. And something just washes over us. I've been in funerals where these things are spoken and I thought I knew the person until I heard more and more about who they really were. And I go, wow, what an incredible person. But in many cases, the one who has died never heard that praise or encouragement from others, at least not to that degree. And they were never aware of the influence that they had on other people. And now it's too late. So I have a suggestion. Why not share life-giving words with people while they're still alive? I know it's a novel idea. Why not? Why wait? Several authors have summarized the idea like this. What we say at funerals, we should be saying at birthday parties. Why wait? Because there are some incredible tributes and some incredible life-giving words that are said at funerals. Why wait that long? Too often we're stingy, aren't we, with our life-giving words. And maybe, again, it goes back to, well, if I give that away, who's going to do it for me? I, I, I get that. We wait, and sometimes we wait too late. So here's the point I'm trying to make today. You're mic'd up. Sometimes people hear what you say. And God always hears what we say. So why not cultivate the positive power of words before it's too late? Why not say words like these? You have had a profound influence on me. Or, thank you for your kindness. Or, your example gave me hope. Or, You are one of my best friends. Or how about this? My life is so much better because of you. Or I love the way you love God and people. Or how about this? Thank you for being so generous with me. Or a simple I love you. Or I admire you. Or I'm proud of you. Or how about this? Watching you has made me want to be the person God made me to be. 
Why not? You see, if we first get in touch with our hearts, and all of us have a long way to go in the heart area, okay? But to be able to say, God, there's something inside of me that really believes that and really wants to say that to people. Why, why am I not free and generous with those comments? What's that all about, God? And then, God, would you help me to put into words life-giving words for this person? So this week, I'm inviting all of us to think of a person that is special to us. It might be a spouse or a child or a parent or a brother or a sister or a good friend or a mere acquaintance or even a complete stranger. Okay? What life-giving words can you say to them? You don't have to write it out necessarily. You don't, you don't have to memorize it. It doesn't have to be this treatise. It can be just a few phrases. Do you, do you realize, again, the, power, the disproportionate power of words? Some of us are holding on to just a few phrases, a single sentence that was uttered to us years ago. That's, that's all it takes. What life-giving words can you say to them? Maybe it's through a note or an email, or a text, or better yet, a conversation where you can see each other, where you can look into each other's souls through the eyes. It's so powerful. Death and life are in the power of the words we say. Thank you, Father, for your gentle reminder about how everything that we're saying is being recorded. We're mic'd up. And God, I feel like I need to start by just saying, would, would you just forgive us all for the things that we have said through carelessness, maybe through anger, insecurity, doubt, fear, Lord, when I, our heart bubbles up with all of that stuff, there's no telling what's going to come out of our mouths. We're sorry about that. Would you do a heart work inside of us, God? Would you help us to start there? And then, God, would you, would you help us to be people of courage, people that realize whether we get it back or not, whether we get praise or encouragement or life-giving words, that, we can't control that. But we can be part of speaking life into other people. I pray that we would be those kind of people, transforming those around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.